Chapter Five of A Soldier of the Legion by George Mannington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Part Two. My new location was a small fort situated to the northwest on the confines of the Yente province, about sixty miles from Nha Nam as the crow flies, but a good eighty by road owing to its position in a rugged forest-clad mountainous region and to its being surrounded a few hundred yards away by a chain of rocky heights green with the vegetation which flourished in the crevices it was found to be so unhealthy that the military authorities had up till october eighteen ninety one contented themselves with maintaining a garrison of native soldiers there owing however to the approaching operations against the rebels and to the fact that cho trang was situated on the left flank of their positions and close to several paths leading into their country it was found necessary to strengthen the force there for a few months since by these tracks it would be quite possible for some of the chinese bands established in the hills around lang song to come to the assistance of da nam from Nha Nam our detachment marched via Khao Thuong to Phulang Thuong, whence we served as an escort to a convoy going to Lang Thong. We went by the famous Mandarin Road, which had been the scene of the retreat of General De Niger's army in March 1885. Our rate of progress was a slow one, for the vehicles we escorted were heavy carts drawn by tame buffaloes or native wheelbarrows of a most peculiar pattern, constructed entirely of bamboo and ironwood, without a single nail or screw. The wheel consisted of a big wooden disc about three feet in diameter, which revolved on a teak axle and produced a loud scratching noise as these clumsy carriages trundled over the rough road the regulation load for these barrows was about a hundred and eighty pounds and to each of them there were two chinese coolies one pushed the barrow from behind with a strap each end of which was attached to a handle passed over his shoulders and thus relieving the wheel of some of the weight carried and another was in front hitched to a rope tied to the horn of this prehistoric little vehicle the creaking of the wheels and continued yelling chatter of the chinese created a perfect pandemonium of sound our convoy was more than two miles long so that when the head had reached a halting place and its escort was able to obtain rest and refreshment the unfortunate soldiers in the rear were still toiling slowly along and would arrive at an adept to find that only a short space of time remained for them to refresh their tired legs and empty stomachs after cap the scene of major dugan's reverse in june eighteen eighty four the road passed through a stretch of scenery wild and magnificent by a succession of loops and curves the route rose and passed round the flank of one mountain after another sometimes the convoy crept slowly over small bridges spanning mountain torrents overhung with dense tropical vegetation now the road would wind through beautiful thickets of bamboo so dense that it would have been impossible to penetrate it at times we skirted deep woods and charming combs full of thick undergrowth 
palms and creepers often the track dipped and traversed fine valleys covered with waving jungle grass beyond this could be seen a vista of hills overrun with black forest or chain upon chain of massive rock a thousand feet high all bedecked with variegated foliage on or near the track there were few signs of animals or bird life with the exception of the ubiquitous sparrow and the ever-present kite though the vanguard occasionally disturbed a flight of chattering parakeets or scared away small herds of deer which with a few bounds would disappear into the jungle we halted at kef sui gang and baklay and passed the night in the forts of these places here the convoy was packed in an enclosure surrounded by a high bamboo fence fires being kept burning all night to scare away tigers and panthers as there were many in the jungle along the road the coolies on their arrival were told off into squads and the daily ration of rice and salt fish was served out to them this they cooked in copper pots and the men of each squad squatted round the fires awaiting their evening meal while one of their comrades who acted as cook for the occasion kept stirring the stew with a bamboo stick most of these celestials were tall well-made men whose lower limbs were abnormally developed a natural result of the calling they followed and like the majority of their race they evidently possessed a strong dislike to soap and water for they were extremely filthy they were clothed like the men of the mountain tribes in this region of the tonkin in a costume consisting of a vest and pantaloons of blue cotton cloth which in most cases was in a terribly ragged condition for pay they received twenty-five cents per diem about five pence plus their daily rations the meal finished the majority indulged in a few pipes of cheap opium locally known as sai and the surface of the compound was starred over with the numerous tiny twinkles of their little lamps these went out one by one and before midnight the camp was plunged in silence and slumber the naked limbs of the sleeping coolies having the appearance of old ivory or new bronze in the flickering glimmer of the watch-fires round which they reclined then the stillness of the night would be broken only by the song of the cicalas the crackle of burning wood the occasional call of the sentries and the far-away cop-cop-cop of a tiger hunting in the hills at baclay our detachment left the convoy and abandoning the high road we struck off due north by a small path which led to cho trang we set out before daybreak so as to avoid marching in the midday heat and were accompanied by a guide and several coolies bearing lighted torches made of split bamboo as a precaution against wild beasts cho trang is about twelve miles from the langson road and the little track we followed passed for nine of these through a succession of jungle-covered valleys and over hills hidden in primeval forests of teak banyan ironwood and palm trees some of which were of enormous size with an impenetrable undergrowth of fern interlacing creepers orchids and spiked rattan 
in these woods the light of day was almost shut out by the dense foliage no birds seemed to live there and the strange weird silence was only broken now and again by troops of chattering brown monkeys which disturbed by our approach would scuttle away through the branches jumping from one bough to another with their usual agility and maintaining the while such grotesqueness of face and demeanour that our laughter was frequently provoked when we had marched about five hours for during the darkness the pace had been a slow one we found ourselves close upon the rocky chain already described which exactly resembled the pinnacles which rise in hundreds from the sea in a long bay this strange configuration is known as the nuit d'ong mi and its jagged ridges run east from this point right through tonkin into Guangxi, and also far north to the heart of the province of cao bang we traverse the first chain through a pass known as the deo Montpieu, which in some places is so narrow that a native pony can only just squeeze between the projecting boulders this narrow cleft is evidently the thousands of years old work of the waters which have eaten away through the carcerious rock indeed there rushed through the pass a rapid though narrow stream wherein we had to wade knee-high between these high stone walls the scenery possessed a savage grandeur i have never seen equalled and the semi-darkness of the narrow way produced a most awesome effect a few lines from l'amour de roland recited by a comrade during one of the short halts we made produced such a feeling of intense sadness that i was glad when our little column broke out of these weird surroundings into the bright sunshine beyond from the pass which was nearly a mile long we debouched into a little circular plain with a superficial area of about one and a half square miles it was surrounded by high rocky walls to all appearances without a break in them and the fort of cho trang was situated almost exactly in the middle of the plain we found that the position was a solid one it was rectangular in form with a small bastion at each angle and the fortification consisted of a well-built parapet and ditch round which ran the usual bamboo palisade our little detachment of thirty men was lodged in a big one-roomed hut of clay and bamboo thatched with macaw palm it had evidently been prepared for our use for it was clean and freshly whitewashed and contained the necessary bedding and mosquito nets for the detachment the fort was in command of a lieutenant of the tirailleurs tonkinoise an eccentric individual who had a strong aversion to the legionaries not that he was unnecessarily harsh or unjust towards us but he had a mania for openly expressing a want of confidence in our discipline which wounded the pride of the men of our detachment the majority of whom soon hated him most cordially he was married according to native custom to a tonkinese woman who was living in the fort and this added to the fact that he was an opium smoker did not aid in increasing the small respect with which he was regarded by the legionaries strict orders had been given by the general commanding the brigade that we should not be overworked while staying in this unhealthy spot so that our life was rather a quiet and monotonous one the only exciting incident that happened during my stay here was an attack made on the cattle stockade by two black panthers one of these beasts succeeded in gaining an entrance and killed a bullock 
He paid for his daring with his life, however, and was riddled with bullets by some legionaries who had been awakened by the cries of the native sentry. The nights were gradually becoming cooler, for we were now in the middle of October, and life was rendered unpleasant by the thick, damp mists which hung continually over our position. Owing to the high walls of rock surrounding the little plain upon which the fort was built, there was little or no breeze, so that these fogs hung about us till late in each morning, when the midday heat of the tropical sun dispelled them. No doubt this was one of the principal causes of the prevalence of fever in this district, another being that the water used by the troops, though it came from mountain streams and was apparently limpid, was strongly impregnated with copper, of which metal there were considerable traces in the soil of the region. Filters were provided for the garrison, and the troops were not allowed to use any water either for cooking or drinking unless it had been previously boiled. Even these precautions did not suffice to avoid disease, for when our detachment had been three weeks in Trang, more than half of its effective was laid up with fever, which takes a most virulent form in this district. Its commencement, like ordinary malaria, is generally announced by shivering fits, during which the sufferer experiences a sensation of extreme cold. The hands and feet are numbed and glacial, the teeth chatter continually, notwithstanding the fact that the thermometer in the veranda is often in such cases at ninety-five degrees. This is succeeded at the end of an hour or more by a feeling of burning heat. Perspiration ceases, the sufferer's temperature rises to over a hundred. He is a victim of terrible pains in the head and is often delirious. At Cho Trang this condition was usually complicated by hematuric symptoms which, fortunately, do not occur in the majority of cases of ordinary jungle fever. There was no doctor in the fort. Indeed, it would be impossible to maintain a medical officer in each of the numerous small garrisons in Tonkin, and it was the lieutenant who examined the sick men and served out the medicines provided by the authorities without stint in such cases commanders of forts are furnished with a manual which is well written and gives in the clearest of terms explanations concerning the symptoms and treatment of the different tropical and other diseases they will most probably be called upon to treat definite instructions are also given in this little book to the officers concerning the transfer of the men to the nearest hospital centre whenever there are signs that the disease from which they are suffering is of a persistent or malignant form though these recommendations are not always adhered to it would hardly be fair in such cases to censure the commanders since it often happens on numerous removals of this kind being made that the officer receives blame from headquarters for having neglected to take the necessary precautions to ensure the satisfactory sanitation of his post whereas in most instances the epidemic has had its origin in the unsanitary position of the fort or the dangerous composition of the soil it was built on. It was noticeable that the first among my comrades to fall victims to sickness were the younger members of the detachment. When they had a strong and healthy constitution, they generally recovered, and though the fever clung to them for six months, and sometimes more, during which period the attacks gradually decreased in force and occurred at longer intervals, 
they eventually became seasoned and the fever seemed no longer to have any hold on them i know of a good many men who have served four consecutive years in the colony and who after paying a heavy toll to malaria during the first year or eighteen months have never again been troubled by the disease hard drinkers were longer in resisting the attacks of the fever fiend but once the illness had a hold upon them the results were generally fatal one of the peculiarities of the jungle fever in any form is that the sufferer loses all appetite indeed he usually exhibits almost a loathing for any kind of food it is therefore necessary to maintain his vitality which rapidly sinks under the repeated attacks of the disease to obtain this result liberal allowances of liquid food are administered to the patient in tonkin milk either fresh or condensed was the diet most frequently prescribed and in most cases with excellent results except when the sufferers happened to be confirmed alcoholic subjects then the patients would either refuse to take milk for which they possessed a decided repugnance or they would be unable to keep and digest it after having forced themselves to swallow it it is easy to understand that owing to the number of men incapacitated through sickness the duties of the few available for service were considerably increased it was no unusual occurrence to find oneself detailed for guard three times in one week and it was only by reducing things to their strictest limit that sufficient men could be found to escort the convoy which was brought from back Lay every thursday the convoy was absolutely necessary for we depended on this weekly service for our supply of food a reserve stock of flour wine rice coffee sugar and salt sufficient to feed the members of the garrison for three months was stored in the fort but this was only to be drawn upon in cases of extreme urgency such as siege or blockade it was during this trying time that i was able to appreciate the good fellowship and unobtrusive self-abnegation possessed by the majority of my comrades and many instances of their kindly spirit came under my observation whenever a man detailed for service fell sick shortly before going on duty and this was by no means a rare occurrence a chum would at once cheerfully volunteer and take his place though as often as not he had himself just come off convoy or guard duty or was recovering from an attack of fever the able men not on duty they were generally but few neglected their own comfort and sacrificed their rare hours of rest to attend without murmur to their stricken comrades and did their best in their rough but kindly way to lighten their sufferings it was a quaint and touching sight to watch one of these bearded mercenaries as he passed from cot to cot and note his efforts to repress his own impatience and clumsiness as he piled blanket after blanket on a shivering sufferer changed the damp linen of another who had broken into the beneficent sweat that denoted the termination of an attack or calmed with a voice which he tried to render gentle the ravings of a delirious friend standing the while to change every few minutes the wet bandages on the burning brow of the stricken one with that gentle care the weak ones would be lifted into a sitting position and how patiently with cheery though perhaps clumsy jokes would the self-appointed nurses encourage their patients to drink the cup of milk which succored the ebbing strength 
or the boiling liquid that provoked the saving perspiration allons mon vieux you're not dead yet the tree is not grown from which your pine overcoat will be made courage take this and to-morrow you will feel so well that you will want to go on convoy guard so as to see that little brown conge that rinked at you at the last time we were at Barclay. sly dog bah or bien quoi hold on mon ami there's a lot more wine in the storeroom that wants drinking don't desert us we shall never get through it without the help of your steep throat often i would laugh at their coarse wit though a big lump in my throat betokened another kind of sentiment yet one might be joyful at the evidence of the vast store of human kindness possessed by these rough soldier folk which though hidden till now came splendidly to the fore in this time of common misfortune on the twentieth november as i was sitting on a stool close by the door of the fort for i was feeling decidedly queer having just recovered from a third severe attack of fever the native sentry who was posted on a little wooden platform about twenty feet high supported on four bamboo poles and fitted with a thatch roof informed me with a shout that he could perceive a troop of european soldiers accompanied by two mounted officers coming out of the pass towards us i was in charge of the guard for the day so i sent off a tirailleur to inform the commander a few minutes later the two officers seen by the sentry came galloping into cho trang on their ponies and my surprise was great in recognizing captain plessier and surgeon joly as they came through the gate i rose and saluted our captain drew up his little mount with a jerk and after looking hard at me for a few seconds exclaimed mon dieu doctor why this is our englishman but how changed why the man is as yellow as a buttercup and as thin as a vine-pole while he was speaking the doctor had dismounted and after throwing the reins to a native soldier who stood by he came over to me after consulting my pulse and looking at my tongue he turned to captain plessier and said this man is in a high fever and ought to be in bed he questioned me concerning the date on which i had had my first attack and obliged me also to give him other details concerning my malady then he walked off and rejoined our captain who had gone on to the quarters of the lieutenant in command of the fort a few minutes later a sergeant came up to the guard-house and told me that on the doctor's advice the lieutenant had given orders for me to be relieved and he the sergeant had been instructed to tell me to go to bed i was not sorry for this for i was feeling very unwell and when one of my comrades put in an appearance i passed the service on to him hurried away to my hut and was soon lying on my cot under a pile of blankets in anticipation of the attack of ague which was already giving me signs of speedy approach i had not been there long before captain plessier accompanied by our surgeon came into the room they visited the sick men who were in their cots there were nine besides myself and then came over to me after examining me again the doctor said this man should be sent down to the nearest hospital as soon as possible he might leave with us to-morrow morning we have not sufficient coolies to carry him replied our captain and it would take at least two days to get some from bacli he reflected a little and then asked me can you ride yes mon capitaine i answered 
well doctor i think the best thing will be to put him on my spare pony continued our chief that is if you think he can stand the ride and one of our coolies can carry his baggage eh doctor yes i think we can risk it for it is better to get him away from here as soon as possible answered m joly no sooner had our officers left the room than several of my comrades set to work to pack my kit for i was now in a high fever again and consequently too weak and ill to attend to this operation myself as they bustled about these good-hearted fellows with many good-natured jokes concerning my coming journey to the seaside congratulated me on my luck and did their best to encourage me to get to sleep so as to gain strength for my long ride on the morrow we started early the next morning and though i was glad to leave the saletru as my comrade termed the fort i was sorry at the thought that they would have to remain for several weeks longer in this unhealthy spot dr joly had announced the previous evening to the other sick men that they would be removed as soon as sufficient coolies could be obtained for their transportation my mount was a big tartar pony whose only fault consisted in a persistent desire to leave the path and gallop through the forest he succeeded in taking me unawares the first time and my helmet was knocked off and i was nearly brained by the bough of a tree like most of these little horses when they have been in the hands of the natives he possessed a terribly hard mouth so that what with this and the fever which had again taken a hold on me i experienced a somewhat lively journey we reached cap at four in the afternoon and here i was put into a carriage on the little railway to langson which was then in course of construction and had reached this point twelve miles from Fulangtong a few days previously at cap i said good-bye to my comrades who formed the escort and thanked our captain and doctor for their kindness i afterwards learned that i had indeed reason to be grateful to them for my speedy transference for a week elapsed before sufficient coolies could be obtained to transport the other sick men from cho trang and one of the poor fellows died during the journey on the arrival of the train at phulang trong a stretcher was in readiness for me instructions to that effect having been telegraphed from kep and i was carried to this hospital this establishment was virtually a sort of base ambulance from which the patients whom the doctors considered in need of a long treatment and change of climate were sent to haiphong or quang xin it was however well built possessed an efficient staff of surgeons and nurses and was so fitted up that every colonial disease or casualty likely to occur during a campaign could be dealt with under the best of conditions a great deal of money and attention is expended by the french government in the building and fitting up of the hospitals in tonkin and the doctors are well trained clever and conscientious men i remained here for a fortnight during which time i do not think the fever left me for an hour indeed during the first six days i was almost continuously unconscious i was treated with the utmost kindness and care both by the surgeons and sisters these excellent women who belong to the roman catholic order of st vincent de paul do not unfortunately possess the same scientific knowledge of medical nursing as our british hospital nurses but they are untiring in the care which they give to the patients and their unstinted efforts to relieve the suffering are worthy of the highest praise 
During that period of my illness, when the fever was at its worst, and I was almost constantly delirious, it seemed to me that there were moments when some section of my intellect, escaping from the frenzy which possessed my brain, succeeded in retaining its lucidity, and was able to obtain control over a portion of my personality, inspiring it with a power to think and see independently of, and as it were, apart from, the remainder of my suffering organism. So vividly did this impression assert itself, that to this day I can remember hearing my own ravings, and mentally consoling myself with the thought that they were merely the results of delirium. I would at such times watch the terrifying hallucinations conjured up by the malady, with a perfect knowledge that they were the results of an imagination distorted by the fever which possessed me, and at the same time find means to take notice of a tiny lizard as it crawled, searching for mosquitoes, up the curtains surrounding my bed, the flickering night-light, the crucifix hanging on the whitewashed wall in front of me, or the sister on duty as she moved silently from cot to cot, to administer medicine, or to assure herself that her patients were asleep, and whose picturesque costume, white cornet and collar, reminded me of the poem The Black Musketeer in the Inglesby Legends. My experience is by no means unique, for several of my friends, who have also been victims to jungle fever, and with whom I have compared notes, have been impressed by phenomena of a similar description. When my daily temperature began to take a slow but decidedly downward curve, the head doctor informed me that I was to be sent to the hospital at Quangtien, a small town situated on the coast not far from Along Bay, where, said he, aided by the sea air, I might possibly succeed in shaking off the malaria, though he told me that he was noting my clinic sheet to the effect that he considered it advisable to send me back to Algeria as soon as I could support the voyage. I felt much disappointment at this information, though I recognized this kindly intention, but it was far from my wish to return so soon to Africa, and I determined to make every effort, in the event of my getting rid of the fever, to induce the doctors at Quang Yen to allow me to remain in Tonkin, for I still hoped to participate in the coming winter campaign in the Yen Te, the prospect of which had been a constant topic of conversation with my comrades. A few days later I was carried on board a river steamer, but during the journey I fell so ill again that I was put on shore at Haiphong, and remained three days in the hospital there. However, at the end of that period I was sufficiently recovered to continue my journey, and eventually reached Kang Yen on the 12th November. End Chapter 5 Part 2